Hey, just real quick, if you're in Australia and still have old analog clocks, it's time to upgrade so that your swimmers can see the clock. The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is now available in Oz. They're distributed by Tim Lane in Brisbane, and I've got a special deal for you. Just email him at tim at swimnerd.com, tell him Brett Hawk sent you, and get yours today for just $7.99 Aussie dollars. So email tim at swimnerd.com and order your Swim Nerd Pace Clocks today. All right, we have a special podcast today. I've got uh, two outstanding leaders within the swimming community. Um, one of them has written a book. Jackson Leonard has written a book uh, about the uh, outstanding career of Coach Greg Troy. It's called It's Never Easy, and it's on leadership, swimming, and the value of challenging work. So first of all, both of you, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Coach. Yeah, now listen, Jackson, um, tell us all about this uh, new uh, venture that you went into and, and, uh, and, and talk to us about um, what led to this book. Um, well, I've been coaching now for a little over 10 years. Um, actually got started at the University of Florida. Um, I finished my freshman year and wasn't cut out to be a swimmer um, in the Florida program. Just hadn't done enough training. Um, went home for summer, came back and knew I wanted to coach. And so I knew I wanted to learn from coach Troy and worked as a, as a manager, um, kind of evolved into sort of a pseudo volunteer assistant coach for a few years. I stayed and got my master's there, um, and worked as the head age group coach for Gator Swim Club. But so I spent four and a half years working with coach Troy around him, learning from him, went off. I've been on a few different age group teams. Now I worked as a volunteer assistant for Ohio state. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, uh, my dad gave me a great book by Chuck Warner. Hmm. Um, Coach Chuck Warner wrote uh, this book about Eddie Reese. And I finished it in about a day. And I knew there were three or four things that I was immediately going to use the ne next day in practice. And handed it off to a colleague in the office, and he read it. And same thing, he had three totally different things, though. And it kind of went around our, our uh, team, and every coach got something different out of it. I thought that was great. And since I've left Florida, every place I've been and everywhere I've coached, I've had coaches and swimmers ask me, you know, what would Coach Troy do in this situation? Uh, we have a kid that acts up. What, what would Coach Troy's answer be? And so after reading, you know, the book on Coach Eddie Reese, I thought, you know, this would be great to put into a book format to give to other coaches for here's just sort of what I've learned from Coach Troy. Here's what I think is worth sharing um, and get a little more in-depth from him about uh, – specifics about training and whatnot. Um, so I approached him about this, at, uh, the American Swimming Coach Association World Clinic last year. And um, he actually suggested the idea of including Caleb and Ryan um, to sort of tie this together into what's happening now and you know, where they are now as a pro group. And um, so I thought that was a pretty cool combination of the history of Coach Troy, what he's gone through, cultural, cultural evolutions, and then where he is now with those guys. Well, listen, congratulations. Outstanding work. I know uh, so many people are going to be interested in this book. Uh, Greg, I've always called you Greg, but for the, for the, out of respect for um, Jackson, I'll call you Coach Troy. Um, listen, uh, your, your, your career speaks for itself, but it's nice to finally put some of this stuff down on paper so that we can share it with future generations. And then to have Ryan and Caleb be part of this uh, is, is 
pretty incredible as well. How do you feel about having a book written about you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm flattered, but uh, a little humbled. I'm, I'm not sure that um, uh, it, it, it's nice to be in a dynamic where Jackson feels that there's things that worthwhile that hopefully can be helpful to the swim community, but um, it's, uh, you know, you hang around long enough to do something for you. Yeah. So. Well, listen, I was fortunate enough to um, coach against you for many years at Auburn as the head coach there. And um, there was no doubt in my mind that whenever you uh, were swimming against a Florida team, they were going to be well-prepared and you better bring your A game that day, no matter, no matter when it was, whether it was mid season uh, or at the end of the season, you had to be ready to go because you know that your, your boys and girls were going to be on their game. So um, it, it's interesting to be able to kind of dive into that a little bit. What are some of the things Jackson that we go into in the book that we can look forward to? Oh boy. Um, well, I mean, at Florida, it's, it was interesting to hear coach Troy um, talk about the things that he had learned at Fort Myers and in bowls that then he took to Florida um, to help build the team up, get kids working together around a common goal um, to explain it well and have people buy in. Um, and then when you have 98% of the team buying in, but you have one or two outliers, what do you do with those one or two outliers? How do you help guide them in the right direction for them? Um, and then more specifically with the actual training that happens each season, um, what he used to bring people together in a real cohesive way, like Friday fly days or a Florida, as far as I know, a pretty big Florida thing. Mm -hmm. And every Gator takes pride in it, whether you swam fly or not, whether you're a sprinter, distance guy or girl. I mean, you did butterfly on Friday and there were all kinds of different sets and everyone took pride in the fact that you finished Friday white because everyone did the same work together. Um, so I thought it was pretty unique about how he combined the past stuff he'd done with how to bring teammates together at the college level. Greg, I've never um, shied away from the fact that I, I love sprinting and people classify me as a sprint coach and, and that's kind of where my passion is, but I love swimming in general. Um, when people talk about you, they say certain things in terms of the way that you train. How would you describe yourself and what are some of your philosophies that you believe in? First of all, I think, you know, co coaches, um, you, you get labeled a lot of things. Yeah. And sometimes it's labeled by the athletes you're working with. Yeah. If, if you're working with sprinters, you're, you're going to be a better sprint coach. Yeah. If you're working with distance guys, and that's where you'll be a better distance coach. Uh, I, I would kind of consider myself a little bit there in the middle. I like the medleys. I think they provide options to build everything off of. So that, that's always been the base, uh, whether it was at Bowles or at Florida. Or, uh, maybe in Fort Myers when I was younger, it was a little more distance. But um, it, it, at Florida, when we came in, I, I just made a decision that the quickest way to top was uh, by swimming the distance events and the 400 IMs and the, and the long relays, where I think that's a little anti-traditional approach. Most people come into college and you want to sprint right away. And, and we just took a little different approach. And consequently, we recruited those people first. And we do, were really good there. So we attracted more people than that realm. But uh, I always thought at Bowles, we'd done a real good job with sprinters also. So I, I think it's it's what you're offering the people you work with. Um, I think that uh, you know having the good fortune to race against you at Auburn, had you walked into a situation in Auburn where three quarters of your team was distance freestylers, you would have been labeled a whole lot different than you were when you walk into a team that 
you know, you got people that are going to win the 400 freestyle relay and yeah. win the 200 freestyle relay. When you, when you're stable sprinters, you better be a sprint coach. Mm-hmm. If you're stable is distance guys, well, then you better be a distance coach. But I, I think that sometimes we miss in swimming that there are, um, it's like putting a puzzle together and there's little pieces of all the events that are applicable to everyone. That, this morning we had a practice where um, we had, uh, we had a sprint group and we had another medley group and we put them together the medley guys did what they needed, and then they came in and did the sprint factor at the end of practice. And that's certainly part of the component of what they're doing. So I think putting all those pieces together is the key. Well, listen, there are going to be so many people that are fascinated in kind of getting into the the inside of the Florida program and, and also into Coach Troy's head a little bit. Um, what can people expect from the book? How open was, was Greg in terms of opening up the program to you and, and you know, being able to offer people exactly kind of the, some of the things that he's doing? I couldn't be anything better because I had I had Jackson there had been there. He, he lived part of it. He, he'd seen the True. seen all the the working pieces, and he was a sprinter a little bit himself when he came in and uh, and challenged. So I, it's it's pretty open at least from my standpoint. Yeah. I thought it was. And I think that's a common theme that goes through this book is um, everybody I talk to, um, from Dave McCag to the latest Gator swimmers, talk about how Coach Troy shoots straight. I mean, he will not tell you lies just to make you feel better about it and he'll tell you the truth about what's going on so I knew I could expect that when we were talking for the book purposes um, but I think the best thing actually for the, the specifics of training was getting an overall picture that it didn't have with coach Troy and what he did with his Fort Myers group and how that evolved to the early days at Bulls when it was a smaller team and who was left over when he took over how that evolved into a powerhouse prep team and then, like he just said, what he had to do to shift to be successful at Florida. And pardon the expression, Coach, here, but everyone thinks you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It seems like Coach Troy has evolved with the times to now have this, um, you know, pro group or, you know, high performance group at Gator Swim Club mm-hmm. where he's, he's balancing Ryan Lochte, who's got kids, with Caleb Dressel, who is the starting out pro, with these other guys that are coming in and changing the practice cycle into something that's really specific and dynamic, but also at the same time sticking to his roots of what he believes as a coach. Mm. Yeah. Outstanding. Well, well, I, 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 I want to dive into that too, but Greg, you go ahead. But I, you know, I, I had a good fortune being in a conference where there are a lot of good spring coaches and, and I, I spent some time with sticks, Ron Ballatory. And he's one of the best to get things done. I had the good opportunity to compete against you guys, Brent, and and you did a really good job. And as you probably know better than anyone else, I, I spent a, a lot of time when I was uh, a little bit uh, in the middle of my career just watching other people. And then I spent a couple international meets, spent a lot of time watching Turetsky and uh, and Popov. Mm-hmm. One of the best, I have a little article I keep on my desk of, of uh, Turetsky and, and Popov sprinting and, and what his approach was. And I, I think there's some real gems in there that really contribute. But uh, sometimes sprint coaches are mislabeled as being easy. And as yep. you well know, there's nothing easy about it. It's yep. just a different use of how you use time. Mm-hmm. And there really isn't less time you put into it either. It's, it's using the time allotted. And you might be in the water, you might be at the facility, or you might be training is probably a better way to say it. Whatever type of training is. The same amount of time as what a distance guy is. It's just that the focus is different in how you're going about it. Well, tell me this. One of the subtitles is the value of challenging work. What does that mean to you, Greg? Like, why do you value challenging work, and why do you think it's important? 
think that there's a, there's a point in every race where you um, have to face some adversity that um, isn't natural. First of all, it's not natural to start with the sport. We weren't designed to be in the water. We don't have gills or any of those things. Mm-hmm. So, so you're going to deal with things that are uncomfortable and things which are, which are unusual. Um, by challenging on a daily basis, um, and those challenges come in lots of different ways, but by, by presenting challenges for athletes, it helps the athletes learn how to deal with that challenging part in the race. Um, you swam in the world scene, and there's, there's always a little bit of self-doubt. There's always a little bit of questioning. Um, the, the people you're racing against are, are every bit as equally prepared and focused on the same things. The, those challenge points, when you deal with them in practice, whether you're successful or unsuccessful, sometimes being unsuccessful at them teaches you more about what you need to do than being successful. But those challenging points are the ones that make the difference at that crucial time, at uh, 15 minutes in the ready room that uh, point right in the middle of the race where you, you got to make that split decision at the right time. Those things are a com- combination of all the times you put in facing those challenges and how you deal with them. Is that why, I mean, you can call a book anything you want, Jackson, but, you know, ultimately kind of what Greg's talking about there is, is part of the title of the book, It's Never Easy. Is that how you came up with that title by just talking to Greg and understanding that, hey, this is a process of, of a lot of hard work? It definitely came from conversation with Coach Troy because I value what he tells me when we catch up once or twice a year and at random, you know, con- clinics or conferences and whatnot. But um, when I was coaching around him before he and I really started talking a lot, I was watching practice and at the same time reading comments from online trolls talking about garbage yardage. It's just mm-hmm. common and I think coach gets mislabeled as a pro it was a program where they're just doing volume for the sake of doing volume. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the more I got to talk to him about it and the more we realized that what I was watching wasn't garbage yardage. It wasn't just work and hard work for the sake of hard work. It was purposeful in something, a technique or a mental aspect of something you were doing. And I was just sort of reconfirmed when, you know, you hear Caleb Dressel talk about the last 25 of the hundred yard butterfly. He doesn't breathe. And it's challenging things at practice that come in at something like a Friday fly day from coach Troy that push an athlete to the next level. I mean, at Caleb's level, everyone is extremely talented, but that extra little boost um, and making the work challenging and not just hard, not just more volume, but actually adding some worth to the work that you're doing is kind of what drove that to that subtitle of challenging work. Yeah. Uh, and it's nice to have, like we said, um, Caleb and Ryan as, as part of this, what, what, how did they contribute to the, to the book? Like where are they added in here? Uh, the back half of the book, I really wanted to include sort of their perspectives of um, how Florida's history helped them as swimmers while they were there. Um, what about their training has changed since they first arrived, how that sort of developed with coach Troy, not just because of him. Um, both of them talk about having a really open and honest um, communication pathway with Coach Troy. I mean, both talking at separate times said nearly identical things about how they trusted the process because they knew they were included in what was going on. As long as they told the truth, he would tell the truth back about what they were doing in training. Um, and then at the end, you know, it was a lot about just specific, I include a whole chapter that's designed for anyone who doesn't really want to read the whole book. You just want to flip to what a Caleb and Ryan think sort of quick Q and a things about how they approach training, the mental aspect of the sport, mental aspect of racing. 
Um, so they're included in sort of the back half and how it's how they've really connected with Coach Troy over the years. Yeah, awesome. Greg, talk to us about the the two guys. Um, you know, what is it that we don't know about them? They're obviously world champions. They're obviously hard workers. What, what is it that people don't know about these two guys? You know, they're both real good athletes. They can both dunk a basketball. And if you pull out pictures over the last, well, I talked to Ryan, it was 12 years ago this, this week that uh, he won the gold medal in 200 backstroke. But we, we, if you look at those, those last 12 years, and both those guys have been on the 400 and 800 freestyle relay, when they come out in the free relay, uh, I didn't notice it at first. It took a while myself. But there'd be 12 guys come out in the 800 freestyle relay. And Ryan was always the shortest guy in the group. And Caleb's the shortest guy when they go out for the 400 free day most times. Mm-hmm. They're not, um, they don't have that overwhelming um, body that you'd pick out and say, wow, I want that folks to be. Sure. They're very athletic though. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both did some other sports when they were younger. Good eye-hand coordination. Um, both of them are very well connected through the core, but they work hard at doing that. And um, th- I think the thing that, that uh, maybe separates them more than anything else is that they, they really love what they're doing. They, they like to race. Uh, they look forward to the opportunity. Um, they're certainly different individuals, but they both have that. They, they make racing situations in practice. So if you give them something challenging, I'd say at least half the time they're making it even more challenging than what you did. Mm. Um, it, it's, uh, they're not afraid to do the volume end. Uh, they understand the component and the speed end. Um, both of them are, um, are um, technicians. They're looking for ways to get better. So they challenge you as a coach. And, and I've been fortunate to work with a lot of athletes like that. Um, I wish that uh, I had had a, a, more of an opportunity to work with, uh, like you work with Richard Quick, work with someone that was, was established. I've always been kind of mm-hmm. beat the ground. I, if I'd known some of the things I knew with, with Caleb and Ryan, I'm, I'm working with them. I think a guy like David McCagg, I could have been even more helpful with David when I worked with him early in my career. Sure. And um, so some of the other guys that were, were good at, at Florida, as the career evolved, you could see more and more that those characteristics where the athlete, like Jackson said, the honesty, communication back and forth, those are the cornerstones of taking people to the next level. And yeah. there's got to be a belief on both sides that you're both going the same direction. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Greg, I started this podcast back in February, right before kind of the lockdowns. I've, I've been fortunate to to expand it and, and talk to, um, I think I'm about to release my 60th podcast. Uh, I think you guys will be right there at 61. So I've, I've talked to a lot of great people and, and you've seen a lot of um, great people come through your program. Uh, amazing swimmers, but not all of them end up world champions and not all of them end up Olympic champions, but they all are, are, are very good in their own right. And I've talked to many of them on my podcast. Some of them are Olympic champions and some of them are just really good swimmers. I mean, some, you wouldn't pass them up on your team, but they're not Olympic champions. And, and I'll tell you one thing I hear, I hear a, a distinct difference between the two groups of the people that are Olympic champions or world champions and the people that are just really good swimmers. And the, the thing that I hear is that there is a, there, there's a comfort and a belief that it's okay to see themselves as Olympic champion or world champion. They're comfortable in that skin. They're comfortable in that um, feeling of, hey, I'm, I'm going to compete to win. I'm going to compete to be the best. And the people that are just really good athletes, it's almost like they're uncomfortable to admit that. It's almost like they don't want to see themselves as the champion 
they're happy to be there and they want to be in the final, you know, uh, and, but when they look around, they say, I'm happy I'm here, but that person's better than me. And that's kind of the sense that I'm getting throughout these conversations. Do you notice that yourself with the difference between Caleb and Ryan and other great athletes? I think you're hundred percent correct. Um, I work with Gustavo Borges for, for um, Olympic cycle. And, uh, and he was the same way. They, um, they, they want to see themselves. They're not afraid to fail. They want to put themselves out there where they, where, where they find out what they can do. The, the, um, I think that uh, the way you put it is 100% correct. And it's almost a little bit of a failure, fear of failure in some people. If I say I'm going to do this and I don't, there's a chance I may fall short. Mm. And um, but w- what I've seen with Ryan um, and, and Caleb, especially some of the better women I've had too, when, they, when they've had really, really good performances, they're almost critical of their own performance of how it could be better still. Mm-hmm. So, so they're, they're striving for perfection and that, that perfection, how can you be perfect if you're not going to be the best? So they're not afraid to make that commitment that I'm, I'm going to be the best. And when they fall short, they're disappointed, but um, the disappointment isn't a setback that holds them back for extended period of time. It just becomes a building point to where can I get to the next spot? Awesome. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Jackson, any, anything within the book where, where you feel like uh, that kind of jumps out as something you want to highlight right now? For sure. Um, you know, it's interesting because I've heard coach Troy say exactly that. Um, but when I asked Caleb and Ryan separately, sort of what they think swimmers need to do to continue going best time, sort of in that thread, they both use the identical language. And at first, I, they both said, you have to stay hungry. You can never be satisfied with what you get. I mean, you can crush the world record, and you still have to figure out how to come back the next day and reset your goals. And at first, I really thought that this was sort of like a, a Bill Belichick moment where, it, you know, it's, I watch ESPN every morning, and they're talk about how um, the Patriots want to send out a message to the media or anything about any topic. Message starts with Bill Belichick. He tells the players what they're going to say. They all come out with the same message. But it's pretty clear, like you just said, that these two guys just are a step and a cut above everybody else, that they don't need to hear from Coach Troy to believe that. They just instinctually have this killer instinct where they have to be hungry. They have to want more. Mm. And Coach Troy has learned, and, and it's kind of explained through the book, that in years at several different clubs in different places, Coach Troy's had to distinguish when an athlete doesn't really want to achieve beyond a certain point or they're satisfied with whatever they've achieved. If they've decided that, you as a coach are not going to override that. You're not going to instill that in, in them if they've already decided that they're satisfied and they're good. Mm, wow. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And that's, that's what I've been noticing throughout these conversations. Greg, just tell me a little bit about um, – Caleb, real quick, if you don't mind, in terms of, I'm interested in this myself, just, you know, he had a phenomenal world championships. I think it was in 17, you know, after, after the Olympics in 16, then had a, had a, a year where he struggled, you know, honestly, he struggled a little bit and wasn't probably up to his own expectations, let's say. And then he had another phenomenal world championships the year after. What, what did we learn in that period? What, what, what was going on? Well, there, there, there's, there's no one thing, as you well know, there's all kinds of combinations of things going on all the time. And, and that, that year we, we finish up college. So 
in today's world, there seems to be some perception that all of a sudden you finish college or you finish one step and all of a sudden you become a professional and you're entirely different. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think he wrestled with that a little bit. Um, and I think that's a wrong perception. The same skill set that you used through college or mm-hmm. through your high school years to get you something, you've got to take that same skill set as a professional. You don't not use it anymore. You refine it and use it even better. And I think part of the um, part of that change was getting dealing with that, refining it. At the same time, I think he had to um, um, deal with all kinds of other external factors. We were dealing with agents, and we were dealing with suit companies, and we were dealing with contracts. And um, for a um, a guy that's twenty one, twenty two, the 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 figures of money and making decisions are going to impact your whole life. Um, those things impacted Caleb because Caleb is um, his freshness, his approach to practice. When he's not fresh, you know, and that's when you got to be really sharp as a coach and, and pull it back a little bit. You yeah. got to pull it back. That, that summer had a hard time pulling it back because I was pulling it back, but he was wanting more, but he wasn't realizing all these external factors were taking energy. Yeah. And um, you know how it is as a coach. You, you can control the things in the, in the actual aquatic realm. Mm-hmm. But the energy detractors out around, you can't control. So sometimes you, you, you've got to modify what you're doing in the pool to, to, to make up for those factors. And we, we just couldn't get that right. At the same time, he was dealing with something that he'd never dealt with before. The expectation was tremendous. Mm-hmm. And you put all those together every day instead of being that guy coming in that's enjoying the sport and looking for ways and getting better. I think uh, relates a little bit to what we talked before. It was a little bit, we were getting the, um, the, what might happen started to become more important in the process. And in that dynamic, then the process wasn't as good as what it should be. So those are things that are from a mental perspective and things that are going on. Um, we, we dealt with a little bit of injury mm-hmm. through a, a freak thing. But it, it, it changed some technique issues. Uh, he didn't really yeah. miss any training. Mm-hmm. But it was one where you're wearing a splint in one hand, and you you know how important the feel is for a guy that's going short events, and and we lost a little feel in that one hand, so it wasn't quite as sharp. Yeah. And then from a coaching perspective, we were in the middle of. Um, uh, if you look at his 17 figures and his 19 figures, his stroke rates are dramatically different, way slower, much more efficient. Learned how to use the power that he was creating. Um, I, I want to say I, I think we were um, two cycles less for 50 in the fly and uh, three and a half cycles left in the hundred free, less than in the hundred freestyle. Those might be a little bit off, but I believe those are the ones we were looking at. I, I think what happened in 17, we were in the process that we just couldn't hold on to it for the whole hundred. Matter of fact, I, I even think in 19, um, um, the things we saw this past year, I think this summer was going to be really good because we had even found that in, in 19, there were spots in the race that, we're still addressing that we thought there were there were sparks that looked exactly like what we wanted, and then there was a spot or two that looked a little like 17. And I think some of that is um, our sport takes a long time to master, and uh, mastering for a whole hundred meters or a whole 200 meters, it, it, it takes more time. And I think sometimes then in that 18 time frame, a lot of it was we were making a change that we couldn't master it the whole way through the race. At the same time, the expectation was the time was going to produce. And the time production um, is that the more you do it, it takes a whole lot more time working on it to get a whole lot less results. Mm. Unfortunately, a big jump in uh, 
and 17 made the next step really hard to do. Yeah. I think there's a lot of things going on there. Uh, there's a lot to take from that. That's, that's good information. I appreciate you sharing that. So Jackson, the book's called, it's never easy. Uh, w- when does it come out? Uh, the, conclu- the actual book is on pre-order right now on Amazon. Um, it says that it's temporary out of order, but you can order it and it'll get shipped the moment that they start, produ- start getting published. And that's, um, August 24th. Okay. Month, so coming up re- pretty quick. Um, it was originally intended to be released with the happening of, you know, 2020 games, obviously, because this was planned a year and some change ago. Sure. Um, and the, I, selfishly, the idea was Caleb and Ryan swim, swim real well and have a book about their coach out. Um, and I was a little bummed at first per, for my own personal reasons of, oh, no, if there's no games, then will the book be as, of as much value? Um, and after a little bit of thinking about it and talking to coaches around the country and seeing how much people are sharing information now and, you know, myself just listening to podcast, your podcast, every time there's a new episode, I want to learn something new. I want to go back to coaching when we have the whole pool and I want to hit the ground running. I want to be ready to go. I think the book is, if not for the training purposes, hearing how a great coach brought people together and how he really connected with athletes should work for coaches even better when they get back in their, you know, back of the pool in full force. Well, I can tell you this, you know, just so you feel a little bit better. Greg doesn't have to step on a pool deck ever again. And, and, and Caleb and Ryan don't have to have, have to take another stroke. That's a book I want to read still. You know, I want to read about them. Greg uh, is, is one of the most outstanding coaches in history. And obviously, the, the record of those two swimmers speak for themselves. So I want to read this book. I can't wait. Um, l- lesson, uh, tell me this. I swam for David Marsh, and then um, I coached with him and for him. And uh, there were times where I hated him as a swimmer. And, and then there are, there are a lot of times where I respected uh, to learn, uh, you know, a lot of things about his leadership skills and qualities that maybe I didn't respect as a swimmer, didn't understand. What are some of the things you've learned about coach Troy and his leadership? Maybe back then you, that you didn't fully understand that maybe you have a better appreciation for now. Um, I was a pretty pathetic high school swimmer for myself. Um, didn't really turn a corner until junior year. I went from 148 by the time I was senior year and 200 free is down to 138 but I wasn't big enough to swim the 100 and I wasn't disciplined or training enough to swim the 500. So I had one event and I had a great coach who's a great human being, but couldn't teach us technique. So I couldn't swim the other three strokes legally, but I wanted to go to Florida and I went as a walk-on. I spent about, I spent the whole first summer there and about three or four months training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and coach Troy never picked on me, never said anything to me, never, you know, I didn't get a whole lot of anything. I was sort of the, caboose the end of the lane and I distinctly remember being in an outside lane um, long course in Gainesville and finally coach Troy ripped into me mm-hmm. about eight months into training there and was saying you know if you're going to continue to be the caboose every single day you better find another place to be and at the time I was I was just embarrassed I was left I was just in ashamed and he knew what he was doing. He knew he had given me time to try and get used to the training before he finally ripped into me. And the next day I found somebody to run over somebody to be in front of, cause I didn't want to hear that again. Um, and then it wasn't until years later as a coach on deck with him that he explained to me, and I go into great detail with this in the book, but um, coach Troy sort of has a bad rap of a guy who just yells a lot. 
And anybody who's just getting that snapshot isn't getting the entire picture. Because when he yells at a, a swimmer or gets after them for not trying hard enough, he either follows up himself immediately after the practice or within a few laps, or he'll have another coach that has a better connection with that athlete to go over and check up with them and make sure they're on track, make sure they understood why Coach Troy got on their case for whatever it was they were doing. So there were times, you know, I would get yelled at or something in practice as a swimmer, and I thought it was terrible. And then as a coach later on, I figured out why he was doing it and how he connected with athletes even after that kind of tough love. Yeah. Great lessons there. And, um, you know, I'm glad you were able to come around and see that because he, he's not going to say anything to you unless he cares about you, you know? And so there's, there's obviously a part of what you were doing where, where he really cared. And, uh, and sometimes we need to hear it. Uh, and I'm glad you could come around in terms of the way you're thinking. Um, one of the things, Greg, uh, I'll tell you from my perspective that I always, um, really, uh, respected and valued and cherished, uh, two things from you. Um, no matter what was happening during the meet, you, you would always check in with me. Um, you know, whether if something good happened, you'd be, you'd be one of the first to congratulate me. If you saw me struggling, you'd come up and, and try and pick me up. Um, and, and I always appreciated that. Um, and then the second thing is at the end of the meet, you always shook my hand. You were never the type of coach to walk away. You always looked for me. You always came, uh, you know, towards me and, and thanked me and congratulated me or commiserated, whatever it was, you were always, um, you know, very honorable in that. So I really respected you for both of those things. Um, but I think the thing that I respected you most for is that I love MMA now and I, and I love it when they lock the cage and two people are just facing off against each other and they're, and they're, they're about to scrap and they, and, and some, some fights where they just kind of, they just go for it. I love those types of fights. And that's always what I got with you. I always felt like somebody had locked the cage and put us in there and you were just going to go. You were a fierce competitor and I loved it and I respected that. And, uh, and I appreciate it because it brought out the best in me. It's sometimes brought out the worst, but um, most of the time the best. So, so I appreciate uh, everything you've done for the sport, Greg. Um, thank you. I've been fortunate. I've worked with some really great assistant coaches and, and you're right. The rivals bring the best things out. Of you. And I, I'm not sure I never told, ever told you we were, we were sitting uh, having an adult, adult beverage one time there at the, before the conference meet, it might've been, or before a dual meet in, in Auburn. And you were talking to me a little bit about Richard and David. And I, I was very good friends with Richard and I spent a lot of time. He recruited a lot of bulls when he was at, uh, at Texas and Stanford and, uh, and, and at Auburn. But, um, he told me that both those guys, you knew practice was going to be really unique when they came in and they didn't really have it all written out. It was coming off the cuff, mm -hmm. but those were the ones that challenged you the most. Mm -hmm. And I always used to feel bad about those because sometimes I would walk into practice and I didn't feel like I was quite prepared, but you're doing this and you're doing this. I think those practices might be the ones where you most connect with the athlete mm -hmm. and you can really get into a situation where you present something different. And, uh, just the mere fact of talking to you and the way you put it as good an athlete as you were and as good guys as you swam for to recognize that kind of conveyed and it kind of made it okay for me to go in and do that alone, which is really great with this small group I'm working with now it might be one of the reasons it was facilitated getting out of that combined program thing and and, yeah. and doing college yeah, <laughs> yeah it is a little different to work with people yeah um well just give us a, some predictions for next year uh first of all is the olympics going to happen and and uh can can ryan get back to the top of the podium again and and obviously the pressure that's on caleb 
um, realistically, is that is that realistic pressure that's on him? Can he really win, you know, multiple gold medals at, at next year's Olympics? Caleb, um, I've never seen him better than what he was in, in March. We were in, we came off that Des Moines meet. We were the best spot we've ever been in, um, and felt really comfortable. We were moving the right direction, and he was uh, stronger, fitter, been on top of things. Um, really concerned about how he handled the postponement, and it's took a little bit. You know, there's been some rough spots, mm-hmm. but he came back in, and and it, it, it's kind of unique. Uh, he realized what was taken away, but he came back and. His training has been really good. I see no reason why uh, we can't control what the rest of the world is going to do. We certainly are doing a good job of controlling what we're doing. Sure. And he's a, he's a great racer, and he wasn't satisfied with 18. And I think that um, that 18 experience really helped him because he realizes sometimes you can get so good. He, he'd gone all through college and never had a bad, bad season. It was one after another. That was the first time that it wasn't up to expectations. And um, – we all know that dealing with those things is important. And, and I think dealing with that and learning from it gave him even a greater toolbox to work with. So I feel really comfortable where he's at. And then he's handled it well. Expectations and goals haven't changed in any manner. Um, Ryan, same thing, but Ryan's a, a little long a tooth. And um, that, that whole deal that I'm going to hang on for one year, and we came out of Des Moines with him, I, I think a lot of people miss his 400 freestyle in Des Moines was outstanding. He's never swum one working hard as well as it was, and he was in a good situation. So we, we, we were set up to, to be really good. I think it was harder for Ryan disappointment-wise just because uh, I talked to people, feel a little like the um, Scarecrow and the Wizard of Oz, putting oil on the Tin Man, keeping mm-hmm. those pieces working right, because mm-hmm. that body's taken a bit of a beating. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, he, he can't do it off nothing. He's got he's to do some work. Mm-hmm. So you got, he's got to manage another year of that at the same time he's managing two kids and family and all those things. So it, it's a bigger challenge for him, but seeing the response and he's getting better about it and we've got a pretty good plan. So I feel like, uh, I know this, you're going to have to go to the well if you're going to beat him. <laughs> yeah, good. No doubt. Well, listen, you got two of the best guys in history. Congratulations on that. And um, congratulations on the book about yourself and, and your program and, and your leadership and I and, uh, can't wait to read it. Jackson, uh, congrats on the book again. It's never easy. It's coming out August. And um, anything else you want to leave us with before we go? No, I mean, I just, I hope, you know, anybody who's looking for more information, I'm on Instagram at Jackson W. Leonard. Um, you know, I really hope that as many coaches and swimmers and people that are just interested in swimming and improving, pick up the book because, um, you know, my only goal is to share Coach what Coach Troy taught me with as many people as I can because I think it's going to be of great value to the swimming community as we move forward through um, pretty uncertain times. I think the uh, notations in the back of all the people that helped for me should be longer than the book. <laughs> great support. A lot of people are very sharing. Awesome. Well, listen, I'll make sure that I get it out on my social media that we uh, promote this thing. I want everybody to read it and I can't wait to read it too. So congratulations guys. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks. Great having. All right. Take care.